In Matthew's Gospel, we read that when Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Here's Barbara Rainey. It's one of those little pieces in the story of Easter that every time I read it, I get chills. Because it says, at the moment that Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, think about a curtain that's four to six inches thick and 60 to 90 feet tall. And all of a sudden, there's this thunderous sound and the curtain is being torn in two. And it was the moment that Christ breathed his last. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. There are a lot of little details in the story of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. and All of them are important. We'll talk more today about how we can dig deeper into the biblical account of the greatest moment in all of human history. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. Just found myself this week kind of thinking it's beginning to look a lot like Easter. I guess, you know, <laughs> haven't you? Wanted to sing a few <laughs> Easter carols? Why don't you write us a song that would kind of should, capture well, that? We, we have some you've songs. Written, you've written all kinds of songs. Legacy Partner songs. I have written those, but, but I, but, I but, think of... Yeah, by the way, I just want to give a shout out to <laughs> Legacy Partners. Thanks for standing with us. This is an important ministry to you and your family. But it's also an important ministry to our nation. I think our our nation needs all the help it can get when it comes to marriages and families. We are focused this week on the coming celebration of Easter. It's just right around the corner, trying to help families get in the Easter mood and not just wait until the week before and go, oh, yeah, Easter's coming up. I guess we should do something about it. But be in the mindset here weeks in front of the holiday. Well, we're very intentional about Christmas. We spend lots of time making our lists and just countless things that we do to be intentional at Christmas. And I think we need to capture some of that intentionality and use it toward Easter. So my hope is that we can help you and your family uh, find some ways to be intentional this year so that Easter for you and your family this year is much more meaningful than it ever has been in the past. Millions of our listeners know that's the voice of my wife, Barbara. There's probably two that didn't recognize <laughs> two it. Two people who are going, who's she? <laughs> <laughs> but she's back again on Family Life today. Welcome back, sweetheart. Thank you. You know, earlier, Bob um, kind of came into the studio and he remarked about what you see on the table and it really is the result of close to three years of work that uh, you've been at trying to bring great teachings of the Scripture to people's homes around the major Christian holidays that we celebrate to help families prepare both their home and their hearts for the reason for the season. I know there's so much more to the Easter story, in fact, to all of the stories in the Bible, than we know and appreciate. And one of the things that I'm hoping to do is to help families understand more of the story. I think because we're so familiar with it, we think it's kind of old hat or it's boring or, oh, I know the story. And yet there's so much more to it than we know. And I think it helps elevate our celebration when we know more about what happened on the cross and in the all of the events that surrounded the, the first Easter. Over the years, you've designed decorative elements that can be used in the home, uh, whether it's a banner that you can put on your front door that mm-hmm. says, I am the resurrection and the life, a chain garland that can hold 
cards that talk about the I am statements from John. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. This year, one of the new things you've developed is what you're referring to as conversation cards. Explain mm-hmm. what, what these are. Well, I think that all of us, women especially, when we go to the trouble to set a really nice table, we're hoping that we can have a meaningful meal. We go to that trouble because we're hoping that we can capture something that will be memorable, something that will kind of hang with us. And that's why we do traditions. That's why we repeat recipes and all of that. It's a way of binding us together as a family, and it knits our hearts together. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was help families, help couples, help moms and dads um, initiate meaningful conversation around your Easter brunch or your Easter lunch or Easter dinner because we can set a beautiful table, but then if we sit and talk about sports or we talk about homework or we the kids break into a fight, we lost it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we lost that element that we were trying to create. And so sometimes we all need prompts. We need uh, reminders. We need some kind of a little nudge to help us have a meaningful conversation or to help us talk about things that really matter because we want to. We just don't know how to get there. A few years ago, you, you created uh, napkin ties. Uh-huh that had a question on them yep. that folks can, you call it untie your story. Right. Um, so you would take one of these napkin ties and untie the silverware. I've got one here. I've got one too. Mine <laughs> says, uh, being grateful is not always easy. What makes it so difficult at times? Mine says, describe one of your favorite teachers as a child and what made him or her remarkable. So, so the idea is just mm-hmm. here's a, a question that takes the conversation beyond the mundane right. into something that's a little more meaningful. Exactly. But now the conversation cards <clears throat> take it even a step farther, right? That's right. Because the conversation cards, there are eight of them that come in a package. And there are two ways you can do them. I designed them so that you would put one on each plate. Um, and you may have more than eight people, so you can share uh, however you want to do it. But the idea is to read these around the table and talk about some of these lesser-known stories about the first Easter to help us spark conversation. But they're also designed to help us worship more for what Christ did for us on the cross. Because, again, I think we can become complacent and we can become dull to the story. And so when you hear more about what really happened— it opens your eyes, and there's more of a sense of wonder and awe. Each of these cards is a, it's basically a 60-second devotional. Very quick. Mm-hmm. You, you can read what's on the card, and then there may be a discussion question or something that you can follow up on it with. But again, it's the idea to have something spiritually significant that's a part of your Easter meal. Exactly. This is where I think a lot of us fail. In fact, we don't know how to bridge from good food and from talk of the weather and the latest thing that's happened with your sports team that's going well or not going so well. And so we don't know how to get to the real message of Easter and what Barbara's mm-hmm. done. You use the word prompt. Uh, it's really a prompt. It will engage each person as they read it. And like this first one is uh, Light of the World. And I'll just read it here. This is how it happened. While Jesus lived on earth, a grand and glorious temple stood in the center of Jerusalem as the heart of the Jewish city life. Within the court of women stood four sumptuously gilded candelabra over 70 feet in height. 
In the evenings during feast times, a lamp lighting ceremony reminded the people that God himself created light and separated it from darkness, just as his presence did for them, illuminating even the neighborhood courtyards around the temple the lamps were also burning reminders of God's guidance of his people by a nightly pillar of fire, ensuring protection from enemies and lighting their path. Twice, Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. Once in the temple to a curious audience of disciples and Pharisees, and a short time later on the south steps of the temple just before miraculously giving the light of sight to a man born blind. Both announcements were signs of his deity, his bold revelation, I am the light of the world, alluded to again in Isaiah's prophecy about him. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. During every Passover meal, the honor of a candle lighting belongs to the mother of the house, honoring all women, for it was through Mary that God chose to give us the light of the nations, Isaiah 49, 6. And at the bottom of the card, Barbara has, if you're reading these stories at your Resurrection Day meal, the women are the mother of the family, can light the candles now. That'd be a great moment in a family to honor women for having given birth to our Savior and uh, at the same time, honor your mom in the process. A part of what I like about these stories is that it ties what we know about the resurrection and the cross and a Good Friday and all of those things that we celebrate at Easter. But these cards tie all of those events back to the Jewish traditions and the Jewish feasts that Jesus himself celebrated when he was on earth. Because there are links, there are parallels, and there are connections between what God instituted for the nation of Israel that they actually went through that Jesus actually participated in and what we celebrate today. And I think it's helpful for folks to realize that Jesus didn't just stand up and in no context say, I'm the light of the world, where everybody's like, where'd that come from? Mm -hmm. No, he stood up in the midst of the temple where these lights were being lit, giving light to the neighborhoods, as you describe in the card. And it was there he said, hey, I'm the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Everybody kind of like at him going, in the midst of all of this this flaming light, you're saying you're the light of the world? Mm-hmm. It was a, a revolutionary statement he was making, not just some kind of esoteric human philosophy that he was offering, again, with no context. It was also a fulfillment of prophecy, too, because as you read that, there's the verse in Isaiah that said, a light will come, and he's saying, I'm the light. Yeah. I'm the light of the world that God promised. And it was a way of him saying to the people who had been looking for the Messiah to come, I am he. Now, if, if you were having your brother and his wife and their kids over for Easter dinner, and they go to church on Easter, mm-hmm. and they go to church on Christmas, and that's about it, and they come in and see crosses on your table and conversation cards about Jesus as the light of the world, would you put all of that out if you were having nominal folks come over? Or would you, how, how would you handle that, do you think? It would really depend on who it was. And in your family, you sort of know, you might not want to read them all. You might want to read them all ahead of time and pick out one mm-hmm. that you would read sort of as a little introduction to the meal, but have them all out so everybody, 
you know, Uncle George, who nev- hasn't darkened the door of a church in 10 years, but he still has one, and he can pick it up, and he can look at it, so that it, it exposes them, but in a smaller dose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's some symbolism to this, Bob, that you wouldn't necessarily have to, to read. Like, explain to them, Barbara, and this is one that you'd read. It's called Hidden Bread. It's the second one that you would read. Explain uh, how the Passover meal really symbolized the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Jews celebrated the Passover meal for centuries, and Jews today still celebrate Passover. And one of the steps of the Passover meal for the Jewish people today is when they take the bread that's called matzah, and it's prepared and always has been prepared in sections. So the, this Jewish matzah bread has three pieces. It's divided into three pieces. And it's like, why is it divided into three pieces? Hmm. And then each of those pieces has all kinds of little holes marked into it. And a part of the Jewish tradition is, is that the father breaks that bread into the three pieces and he takes the middle one and he wraps it in a linen napkin or a linen cloth and then he hides it. And the Jewish children then all go on a search to find it. And the one who finds it brings it to the father, and the father pays him in silver coins for that piece. Mm. There's so much symbolism. There's so much history interwoven with the Jewish tradition of Passover and what Jews actually practice today and what we know about the story of Jesus, that you could read some of those pieces with people who may or may not be friendly to your faith, and yet it's almost like a history lesson, and it might they might go, oh, I didn't know that, and it might make it more interesting and appealing. Yeah, and simply to review with them, say, for centuries, Jewish families celebrated the dinner, and they had this time when they broke that, that bread, the matzah, in thirds, and then hid the one that was wrapped in a napkin, and it's like, we think as followers of Christ that what God was doing was he was showing us what the resurrection was going to look like, Mm -hmm. that Jesus was going to be crucified. He was going to be wrapped in a linen cloth and buried. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And I would think it would cause an interesting discussion, even with people who aren't people of faith, just to cause them to begin to wonder, is there really something to this man, this God-man named Jesus Christ? That's what you're really wanting to create around the table, isn't it? I want to create interest. I want to create conversation. I'm hoping that families can talk about some of these lesser-known details because one of the things I've discovered through the years of studying the Bible is that the details matter. God doesn't overlook the small stuff. So every detail of the Passover meal, every detail of every feast that he instituted, every detail of the temple— Uh, that was in Israel, all of that pointed to Christ. And we don't know enough about that as Gentiles, as people in the Christian church today. And the more we learn about Jewish history and culture as God instituted it, the more it makes our faith more meaningful. And I think that's what so many of us are looking for in our families and in our celebration of Easter as a way to make it more meaningful. Each of these conversation cards has artwork on the other side of the card, you want to tell us about the artwork? The artwork is exceptionally beautiful, I think. I, and it, the story behind that is that I found a book at a garage sale a number of years ago, and it's a book that was written by Peter Marshall, and it was a sermon he gave on Easter Sunday, and it was it's a phenomenal little book. 
but it was full of these pen and ink drawings, and the drawings are all about Christ and the resurrection. And so each one of them has a a pen, and each of the cards has a a beautiful pen and ink drawing on it. One of the other stories you tell that I didn't know anything about until you did the research on this was the story of the curtain. Bob, you may remember that when Christ died on the cross, Mm -hmm. at that moment— Obviously, there was an earthquake, it was dark, and there was something that took place in the temple that was symbolic of what God had done uh, mm-hmm. through his son, Jesus Christ. Explain what that was, Barbara, and what happened to the curtain in the temple. Well, the Jewish temple had a perfectly square room that was at the back of the temple, and it was closed off by this really thick curtain. And nobody knows precisely what it looked like or precisely how big it was, but the research that I did said that the curtain was between 60 and 90 feet tall. That's really tall. I mean, that's a really big curtain. None of us have curtains anywhere near that big in our house. And it wasn't a sheer curtain. And it wasn't a sheer curtain. It was between four and six inches thick. And I would like to know how they even made it. I would like to know how it was woven. Was it just a whole bunch of curtains that were then tied together? Some, I mean, how do you weave anything that's four to six inches thick and that tall? It's just impossible to even imagine what it looked like to start off with. But what's so remarkable, and it's one of those little pieces in the in the story of Easter that every time I read it, I get chills. Because it says, at the moment that Jesus died— the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, think about a curtain that's four to six inches thick. That's almost more than you can put your hand around, and 60 to 90 feet tall. And it says in Scripture it was torn from top to bottom. So a bodybuilder can do a phone book, but this curtain's thicker than a phone book, right? Yeah, and so you've got something, and it's the hand of God, of course, but you've got the hand of God at the top of that thing just ripping it in half. And if you've ever torn a piece of fabric, which probably neither one of you have, but my mother was a seamstress, and I learned early on that the best way to get a straight line in fabric is to rip it. So you make a snip in the edge of the fabric, and you get your hands on either side of that little snip, and you really quickly, you tear it in half, and it makes a really loud sound. And that's just on a piece of thin fabric. But imagine the sound that probably occurred (laughs) with a 4-inch thick, 90-feet-tall piece of fabric or whatever it was being ripped in half. And I just imagine that the sound alone was stunning to all the priests and the people who were in there, and they were busy with this business of doing the Passover sacrifices. And all of a sudden, there's this thunderous sound, and the curtain is being torn in two. And it was the moment that Christ breathed his last. And the curtain had separated the people from the Holy of Holies. Exactly. That's why it was there. The dwelling place of God. That's right. In the temple, this was the place where they believed God dwelled. The priest would go in once a year. So here is this, this dwelling place of God, and the death of Christ tears open that curtain so that we can be in the presence of God again because of what Christ exactly. has done. So the tearing of the curtain symbolized for all who saw and understood and for those of us now who know that the way to God was now opened. It was now free access. We can come to him, as Hebrews said, anytime, come before the throne of God. And so it was It was a visual statement that God made on behalf of Christ and what he had done, that the way to him was now open. We didn't need priests anymore. We don't need bloody sacrifices because Christ did it all. And 
if I had been alive during that day. I know. Wouldn't that be something? It would have been really remarkable to go back to the temple and interview the priests going, well, what do you think of what happened? What happened? Yeah. Well, the curtain's ripped. It's no longer there. It That separated us from the Holy of Holies. Well, now all the people could see into the Holy of Holies. Nobody had seen it before other than the high priest. Yeah. And we all know today, if you go, go to Israel, you're not going to find a temple. Mm-mm. You're not going to find the Holy of Holies because mm-hmm. it's not there. Right. No, there was one who came to get God into man, and it starts from the top down. Mm-hmm. He took on flesh, became a human being, lived a perfect life, died the perfect death, uh, even though he bore our sins on his body and defeated death. And because he defeated death, he can offer you eternal life. Now, that is the greatest story ever told. Well, and maybe because of the work that you've done, Barbara, there'll be some families that'll have a little richer, deeper understanding of what it is that we celebrate at Easter this year and in the years to come. And uh, Easter will be more meaningful than it's been for families. Well, I hope so, because I think that we undervalue what Christ has done for us. Mm. And so my prayer is that we would grow in our appreciation for the sacrifice and the price that he paid to redeem us. And um, so that's my prayer. There's two places on the planet where that needs to be taking place. One's a church, the other's in a family. What better place to communicate the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he did on our behalf? What a privilege we as parents, grandparents have to introduce our children to uh, the Messiah, the great high priest, the mediator. Well, and everything Barbara has been working on is designed to help make that easier for moms and dads to do, while at the same time making your home a, a place that declares the glory of God, the majesty of Christ. And I want to encourage our listeners, take a look at the resources that Barbara has designed for us here at Family Life as part of the Ever Thine Home collection of resources. Go to the website everthinehome.com and everything that uh, Barbara has designed for Easter is available right there for you to look at. Again, it's everthinehome.com. Look for the banner that you can hang on your front door at Easter or for the the Savior names, the crosses that can be displayed as a table decoration, the cards we've talked about today that you can use at the dinner table, conversation and devotion around your Easter dinner table. The website, again, is everthinehome.com. Or if you have any questions, you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY, and we can answer whatever questions you have or make arrangements to send some of these resources your direction. Again, the toll-free number is 1-800-FL-TODAY, and the website is everthinehome.com. You know, I know a lot of our uh, listeners over the years have used one of the resources that Family Life developed years ago to help uh, celebrate the Easter season. It's a, a tool called Resurrection Eggs, where you can share the story of Easter with young children in a way that makes it memorable for them. It's interactive, and kids love it. And we thought this year we'd like to make that tool available to anyone who would like a set. All we're asking is that you help us with a donation to support the ministry of Family Life today. We're listener-supported, so your donation is what helps defray the cost of producing and syndicating this daily radio program. 
And if you'd like to help support us, we'd be happy to send you a set of resurrection eggs. Simply go to familylifetoday.com and click the link in the upper right-hand corner of the screen that says, I care. You can make an online donation there and request the resurrection eggs. Or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Make your donation over the phone and, again, request a set of resurrection eggs. Or you can mail your donation to Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas. Our zip code is 72223. Now, tomorrow, uh, we, we've we got a guy, a friend of ours, who has just been... Uh, well, he's been pestering us. He wants to come on the radio and talk about Easter and... He's a friend, so we're going to let him do it. Tune in tomorrow, and we'll introduce our guest to you. I hope you can do that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.